It's December 7th, 1972, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Humbled, awed, a sense of perspective. I honestly don't know whether looking at photos of Earth taken from space genuinely makes me feel these things, or whether it's just that all Nat Geo documentaries have such powerful scoring that that's how I'm manipulated to feel. But in any case, the most famous, most awe-inspiring image of Earth, the so-called blue marble shot, was taken today in history in 1972 by an Apollo 17 astronaut, but remarkably, we still don't know which one. Yeah, and if you're wondering what the photo looks like, it probably actually is the image of the Earth that you have in your head. I mean, I opened it up and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what the world looks like. It's just like <laughs> it's gone into my subconscious and I suspect everyone's. But it's like, you know, the deep blues of the ocean and then the green middle is actually Africa. I had vaguely thought that it was America. And then you've got yellow edges of the Arabian Peninsula and then just this, well, lots of clouds and then just this sort of blackness around it. And although it looks like the most natural image of the Earth in the world, you think, if I went to space and turned around and pointed a camera at Earth, that's exactly what I would take. <laughs> it was actually an incredibly rare shot. It was the first picture of a full illuminated disc, i.e., you know, you're looking at Earth and it's in a round shape. It's not crossed by a shadow at all. And that was for a couple of reasons. One was just the timing was perfect. It was midday in Africa, more or less. And it was winter in the Southern Hemisphere, meaning it was midnight sun season in Antarctica. So that was all lit up too. And also other lunar mission crews had never seen a full earth face with no mm. shadow just because of the trajectories that they used to reach the landing sites mm. this final mission used a slightly different landing site on a different part of the moon which meant they went on a slightly different trajectory all of the previous moon missions had been to the eastern side of the moon as we look at it from earth but this mission was going to the western side and that was because geologists had this idea that it was the least disrupted area of the moon and so you'd be able to get a particular type of sample but i think that the that they sort of turned around and saw this this view of Earth. And part of the reason why there's dispute over who actually took the photograph is because, well, they all claim it. All three astronauts who were on the ship that day say it was me, as you, I suppose you would if you, <laughs> if you were involved in any way in the most fav famous photograph of the Earth ever. But also maybe they don't quite remember because they weren't meant to be doing that. They were meant to be doing other things. Well, it's really hard to tell whether they're doing this in a kind of tongue-in-cheek, Spartacus way of obscuring who actually took it, because NASA tradition is that all photos taken from a spacecraft are credited to NASA, unless you can tell exactly who took them just by logic. For instance, the photo of Buzz Aldrin walking on the moon could only have been taken by Neil Armstrong. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when you read other interviews, you get the impression that they actually do all think that they took it. It's very mm -hmm. difficult to crack whether this is kind of a inside baseball space joke or whether they are actually all like piss off I took it. They took four images on a 70mm Hasselblad data camera. There are, as I said, they're all credited to NASA, but there are recordings of them talking in the cockpit that make it clear that they're probably passing the camera around. Mm. There were three astronauts on Apollo 17, Eugene Cernan, Ron Evans and Harrison Jack Schmidt. And in fact, Jack Schmidt wasn't meant to be on this flight, but... Did he sneak in like Barry Bremen? Almost. <laughs> the, the Apollo 18 was cancelled, I guess, because because everyone was pretty much sick of 
like sending men to the moon with increasingly tangential missions. NASA was running out of spare cash to throw at this sort of stuff. And but he was he's a fascinating character. Yeah, he was the only one who didn't have a background as a test pilot or a military aviator. Of the 12 men to walk on the moon, he came from a civilian background. You tend to think, oh, I think they're all geologists, yeah. aren't they, or something? And then they train them to like go round and round on the flippity thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> no, he spent a year training with NASA, including 2,100 hours learning how to fly, which obviously everybody else already knew how to do because they were all taken from military aviation or test pilot backgrounds. But yeah, when they cancelled Apollo 18, NASA didn't want to miss the publicity coup of sending a scientist to the moon because it felt like something that they ought to do. So they booted poor guy, Joe Engel, who was an astronaut by training. They booted him from the crew and they drafted in Jack Schmidt. Well, that may explain why there was this potential, at least, for antipathy between the two remaining men who are still alive from that mission. It totally explains it. It totally explains it because they were they were foisted on each other and they'd already there were bonds that already existed between the Apollo seventeen and the Apollo eighteen crew that then got totally smashed just because of NASA's sort of human resources problem, basically. Uh, and you know, I mean, I guess it, your life is in each other's hands, isn't it, mm-hmm. when you're in a space capsule? So I still think they must have had a great connection with each other. But yes. Neither man really wanted to be with the other at this point. It seems like at the moment the photo was taken, the atmosphere in the cockpit was good. As the three watched the Earth coming into view beneath them, Cernan told Mission Control's Robert Parker, Bob, I know we're not the first to discover this, but we'd like to confirm from the crew of America that the world is round. Parker said, (laughs) Roger, that's a good data point. So they were having a good time. They were passing the camera around. And then right around the time that the photo was taken, and this is the reason that hardcore NASA heads believe that Schmidt was the one who took the photo. He said to Mission Control, and his phrasing wasn't super elegant. Let's remember he was a geologist. He wasn't a poet. He said, I'll tell you, if there ever was a fragile appearing piece of blue in space, it's the Earth right now. (laughs) (laughs) But you say that it was just dismissive to say we can prove that the Earth is round. But actually, for, for millions of people on Earth, until they saw a photo, an actual verifiable, authentic photo taken by a scientist, it's not that there was any serious doubt, but there was a sense of, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, why haven't we seen a photo of the whole round Earth snapped by a human being? We are on the 17th Apollo mission, and we still haven't seen one. And in fact, prior to this, there was a campaign. Did you see this? No. (laughs) There was this countercultural figure from the 1960s who totally deserves his own episode of this show one day, uh, Stuart Brand, who was just like there, sort of Zelig-like, at lots of important moments of 1960s and 1970s history, like the invention of the computer mouse and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But anyway, he had an LSD trip in which he thought he could see the curvature of the Earth, and then he began campaigning to get a photograph of the whole Earth in 1966. (laughs) Show us the Earth, you cowards! Yeah, because he thought it would lead to a more eco-conscious population down on Earth. So he got badges, printed buttons, as they call them in the States, with the words, why haven't we seen a photograph of the whole Earth yet? And it It's became... making it sound like it's been possible to do that for hundreds of years. It's like, well, we only just left Earth. Like, right. It's not like it's been hidden from you for hundreds of years. Anyway, the point is, there are photos of NASA scientists in Houston and Florida wearing his lapel buttons. Say, why haven't we seen a photograph of the whole Earth yet? So you can't directly connect and say this definitely led to them taking the picture. But as we said earlier, they did change the trajectory so that it was possible to see Earth as a whole. And a lot of people do think that his campaign behind the scenes did influence thinking at NASA to say, yes, it is important to see Earth, not just to see the moon. And that had come about partly because of a previous Apollo mission, Apollo 8, 
where the astronauts on that had taken a partial photo of the Earth, Earthrise, they call it. And you see the Earth rising over the moon as viewed from very close to the lunar surface, which was definitely not part of their mission at all. That was just an impulse to take a photo. And that had been the biggest talking point in the media when they came back down to Earth. Yeah, there was this kind of spooky connection between the two photos as well, which is that Blue Marble was released on the 23rd of December, which meant that it was out in time to make the Christmas front pages of lots of magazines and newspapers. Earthrise had appeared on the 1969 New Year's Day cover of Life magazine. So they were both being used at these moments where people around the world you know, are taking stock and thinking about the Earth as a kind of a larger thing than themselves. And of course it gave us, I mean, Earthrise is an incredible photo, obviously, but there's all almost something staged about don't you think there's almost something cinematic about it which i think makes it a more exciting photo but at the same time i don't think it gives you that same sense of this is real and i think that's what blue marble did you know it was the first time we could see ourselves as a rock in space yeah well you say real but actually it was taken upside down as we see it down on earth so the astronaut taking it obviously had no sense of what was up and what was down because they're floating in space so they take a picture and don't even know the photo that they're looking at what should be the top yeah but then they cropped it as well As well as inverting it, they then cropped it so that you can see the biggest possible rendering of the Earth, which makes sense if you're printing it on the front page of a newspaper. But it actually takes away that more meaningful sense, to me anyway, of us on Earth being surrounded by a vast expanse of jet black nothing. Yeah. And the grey of the moon. Like, the Earth is the only splash of colour in the darkness of our near universe. But I guess that's what you would get from its spiritual successor, which is probably the pale blue dot photograph, which was taken on February the 14th, 1990 by Voyager 1. That's the one where Earth appears as a tiny, tiny pinprick of light in this vast black expanse. But I think in terms of the environmentalist impact, we needed a photo like blue marble before we could have a photo like pale blue dot. You know, it's kind of a question of degrees. One interesting aspect of blue marble as well is that you mentioned up top, Arian, that you had initially kind of remembered that America Mm. was featured in the photo where it actually shows Africa, Antarctica and part of the Middle East and India. Mm. It's really interesting that, I mean, obviously there's not much they could do about that from their position. You know, they can spin the earth around so they could get a snap of Houston. (laughs) But on January 25th, 2012, NASA released a composite image of the Western Hemisphere of the Earth. It was called Blue Marble 2012. Mm. And obviously there's always going to be an appetite to see a great picture of the Earth from space, but it's hard not to see it as an attempt to give us a new Blue Marble that would (laughs) re-centralise the West. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite funny, actually, for the African nations. They didn't have to spend any money and they still got a picture of themselves. <laughs> the best space. PR possible. <laughs> Tomorrow. One side says Mary was full of grace and the other side says, no, she wasn't. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 